So a couple of announcements for you as we get going. Wendy, uh, Wendy Stanley is one of the members here. And a couple weeks ago, we had you guys gather together and pray for her before she went in for her cancer surgery. It was her third one for the same thing. It's not malignant. It's benign, but it just keeps growing. So they went in, and, and they opened her up, and they took out this 18-pound tumor. 18 pounds. Now, they thought they are going to have to take her spleen and, and her liver, and they didn't have to do that. So we all that was a... It's a good thing. It's a good thing. I would also say that that is not the best diet to be on, to lose 18 pounds like that. So go to your doctor regularly. She doesn't do it. But anyway, so uh, in, in that, I would encourage you to keep praying for her. She still has a chest tube in. They, they want to pull it out, but she has so much fluid still that it's still coming. So it's in there. She wants to come home. She can't until that comes out, hopefully sometime this week. So just, again, keep her in your prayers. Uh, she also wa- wants you to know... and. Uh, People say I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, that she, she's now keeping down her food, and she passed gas. Yes. Yes. Yeah, don't we all? Don't we all? Man, if I could do that, I'd be like two for two. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Uh, women's Bible study is starting up on September 14th at 9.30 in the morning. If There is child care provided if you need it. So or, or it's an invitation to all of you that want to come to that. This morning... The sermon notes that are on the community tables, I want you all to grab one of these if you don't have one, because there's something in here I need you to do during the message today. So if you don't have one, grab one. If you're newer to Element, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Mass Exodus. This is how I make you guys, like, go to the communion tables, right, like this. So grab sermon notes. If you have a smartphone, though, you can download an app, and uh, in, in the app's called Uversion. In there, you can click on... A, a more and then events, and in that you will get sermon notes and verses and stuff, but you won't have the thing that I want you to fill out. So keep going there. All right. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for reading of God's Word? We'll get started. It's like up and down. You, you get your quad workout for the day. Acts 6.10. But they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us how to be a people who live in wisdom. How to honor you in the way that we live our lives that lift you up in great glory so your people would live in great joy. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are technically doing and calling this week Acts, week 31, although we're not really going to talk about Acts very much. I originally scheduled this message to go at the entire end of that first half of the book of Acts, but today's kind of a celebration day. We're groundbreaking it. It's a little different, so I wanted to do something different. I'm going to remind us how to live and the wisdom that God has given us to live in, and after that, we will only have two chapters left to we're finished with the first half of the book of Acts. still going to take us six weeks. Welcome to Element, but that's how it works. When I walk away from from Acts, I mean, other than Jesus, grace, hope, messed up people, mission, witness, is the idea that God calls his people to live and walk in wisdom. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And sometimes people are like, yeah, God, give me wisdom. I want to live in that wisdom. Let me know all about the wisdom. I'm ready. Not realizing that God has already revealed to us a whole lot of wisdom in the scriptures, and especially the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have had 30 weeks so far in the book of Acts walking through and dealing with this. So my first question for you is, how has your life changed over the last 30 weeks of looking at the things that he has called the church 
into? How is your life? How are you living more on witness? How are you living more on mission? How are you living in those ways that we have learned about through these weeks? Uh, as of today, I don't even have a plan when we're going to get to that second half of the book of Acts. So again, the sideways message, just go with me in it. We'll have a lot of fun with it. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I told you I was reading this John Ortberg book called All the Places You'll Go, and I kind of stole some stuff. When I was on vacation, I finished the rest of the book, so I kind of stole that for this. If it's good, it's not me. If it's bad, it's not me. Right? That, that's how it works. We go through Acts because we want to have the idea of how we're supposed to function as a church and a community that follows the grace and the goodness of Jesus. We did this series because some of you at some point are going to move from Santa Maria and leave Element, and we want you to have a good idea of what to look for in a church no matter where you go. Sometimes people have left Element because I, at times, have said something offensive. It happens. I'm sorry. Sometimes it happens, though. And so I want to start with a question is this. Has anybody here ever made a stupid decision? Don't raise your hand yet. Okay. Every other service is like, ah! Everyone's like so excited to raise their hand when I say that. It's kind of interesting. Funny story. Three years ago in Florida, they found this guy who had died. And, and they went and investigated what happened. Well, apparently, he entered this contest to see who can meet, eat the most live cockroaches. The winner got a live python. He didn't die from the python. He died from eating too many live cockroaches, and he choked on them, and he died. But he won. And I still think the python would have got him if it... But who thinks that's a good idea? Like, oh, live cockroach eating contest. I'll sign up for that. I can win a python? Sweet. I mean, who does that? Like, uh, now I know a lot of you may not have eaten live cockroaches, but sometimes it's good for the soul for confessions. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hands if you've ever made a dumb decision, financially, vocationally. I, hold on. Hold on, let me get through my list before you jump in here. If you've ever messed up when it comes to your physical health or your spiritual health, if you've ever said something dumb, if you've ever made a foolish decision in a relational choice or romantic endeavor, if you've ever uh, been off in your time management or how you raise your kids or how you watch TV, if you've ever made a decision that you look back in your life and you would characterize it as dumb, raise your hand. Yeah, okay, if you're not raising your hand, we're all going to come to you for therapy. Because we're going we're gonna to need it. So turn to the person next to you right now and just say, you're a big dummy. I know, I know that some of you are like, sweet Jesus, we're in church and my prayers have been answered. I get to say that to my spouse. Guys, we are all dumb, we all make dumb decisions, and when we make those decisions, they start to make us. Whether it's what we say, what we think, what we eat, what we do, where we go, who we're with, how we work, how we rest. Orberg writes this, he says, add up a million little decisions and what you get is life. You know that the scriptures have a word for people who live in the gospel, who understand Jesus and live in that wisdom? It's called wise. It's called wise. It is not lucky. It is not wealthy. It is not successful. It is wise. Wisdom in the Bible is not the same thing as having a high IQ. And that's a good thing for us because it's not restricted to people who have advanced degrees. It's for everybody. Some of the smartest people I know never even went to college. Some people that are wise never even went to college. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. We're going to spend a lot of time in Proverbs. Wisdom in the Bible is the ability to make these good decisions based on the understanding of what God has first done for us. It changes our focus and what we do. Wisdom sees Jesus in the ordinary, average events of everyday life. The Holy Spirit is constantly trying to train the early church in Acts how to listen to His guidance, how to live in this wisdom. 
And this is important because throughout the Old Testament scriptures, Israel was called to love wisdom, to center their lives around this wisdom of God. There's a whole section in the Old Testament called wisdom literature. And what you'll see is the church in Acts started to live in this guidance and this love that God gave them in this wisdom. But you also have to understand in this that they were to reflect upon it and celebrate it and talk to their kids about it and kind of live in the midst of it. Proverbs 8, starting in verse 1, goes like this. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroad, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. To you, O man, I call, and my cries to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find knowledge and discretion. Eugene Peterson translates this as, I live next door to sanity, knowledge and discretion are down the street. Verse 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance are the way of evil, and and perverted speech I hate. This is the idea that God wants his people to live in wisdom. And again, I think you find the culmination of this and how the church in Acts began to live this out. I mean, sometimes they messed up, and sometimes they did really well, but these Jewish people that God started with, they had this deep understanding of the wisdom of God. And, and I said, I was finishing this John Ortberg book, and I think we've got to be about the same age, because his humor, I think, is funny. Like, uh, he was talking about how when he was a kid and someone said, oh, I love this hot dog, it was considered funny to go, well, if you love it so much, why don't you? Yeah, see, we have a low bar for what's funny. Apparently, it's, now in the scriptures, you had this wisdom literature, and wisdom was spoken of as a person. And metaphorically, it's a person they were supposed to marry, so it's pictured as a woman. And the reason the Bible pictures wisdom as a woman is that wisdom tend to women tend to be wise. And if you are a dude here with a woman, and you didn't just say wise; you are a fool. Because I just put it on the T for you, and you whiffed right by it. She totally could have had that. The wisdom literature are the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Psalms. All part of the wisdom literature. So Proverbs chapter 9, verse 3. That's what it says. She, that's wisdom, has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. That's the word wisdom. Wisdom calls from the highest place in the city. That's typically where the temple would be built. In cities where they didn't have a high place, they would build a high place. Like if you're in the middle of the desert, you build a pyramid. So you have a high place in the city. The highest point is the poetic expression of the wisdom of God. So wisdom was said to be how God created everything. Proverbs 8, 22 and 23, the Lord possessed me, that's wisdom, at the beginning of his work, the first of his, of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Wisdom is said to be responsible for how kings and rulers are supposed to govern. Wisdom is said to be open to everyone. Again, James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Him stands for everybody. And that's the idea we've got to understand that we are not wise in ourselves. We must trust him for wisdom. Now, just like wisdom is a woman, the scripture tells you there is also another gasp woman. Proverbs talks about her, Proverbs 9.13. It says, the woman folly is loud. We've never met a loud woman, right? No. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the high places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. 
So you notice folly also sits at the high place of the city. And that means that folly stands for all the idols that we want to put in God's place in our lives. They're all the idols that wanted to displace God in human life. And folly says the exact same thing that Lady Wisdom does. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here, meaning come to my house. And so through the wisdom literature, you see these two ways. You have the simple way or the way of the fool. You can probably name a couple people you went to high school or college with. Maybe they grew up in the same type of family, took the same type of classes, had the same kind of upbringing, and yet they went different ways in their life. Like, I have friends who love Jesus deeply, and I have friends who have got hooked on drugs and ended up in jail. Went two completely different ways. And that's what Proverbs tell you, is there's the way of the wise and the way of the foolish. We can all have the same knowledge. If you look at the presidential candidates today, they both have the same knowledge. But knowledge is not wisdom. I don't think either of them know what that even means, right? (laughs) But this is the idea that that we can have knowledge, but it doesn't necessarily mean wisdom. We're called to live and walk in wisdom. And I see people all the time that come through our doors that go down the wrong path, and they're really smart people. But I'll hear how they fail in their marriages or in their life or how they fail fail with their money or fail in ways of anger or fail with their kids and, and all these things. It's without God's leading, we will always steer our lives into total disaster. And what I think wisdom would say to everyone is don't go down that path. Don't make choices in your everyday life that leaves Jesus out of how you live. Don't forget his redemption and love of you that calls you to live for him. Orberg wrote this. He says, there's infinitely more at stake in ordinary moments of everyday life than you can imagine. Make up your mind that you will follow wisdom. And the early church had these choices. Are we going to follow God or not? And again, in the book of Acts, you see the places where they did and the places where they failed. And so what I want to do with you today is some very practical stuff because the Bible is very practical. In your notes, you have seven different categories with a 1 to 10 on it. And we're going to go through these categories and I'm going to have you circle where you think God would say you are on that. I mean, if you have a very bad view of God, you'd be like, God thinks I'm all one, so I'm terrible. You know, no. You've got to think about how God would see you in these things. And then hopefully this week, as you start living out and following Jesus, centering your life, maybe those numbers can actually increase in our wisdom quotient. All right? Got it? It's like, oh, I do need my notes. I wasn't kidding. I was serious. Number one, wise attitudes. Wise attitudes. Proverbs 10, verse 8 says, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Two of the most important words you will read in the book of Proverbs are the words simple, simple-minded, or fool. Both the fool and the simple-minded lack wisdom, but there's a difference between them. And that word is teachability. Now, Microsoft Word tells me that's not a word. But it's a word, okay? Are you teachable? Are you open to correction when something is wrong in your life? Or do you get defensive when somebody tries to point something out and you and just throw it back in their face? Now, I really try to be nice and compassionate. If you know me, you probably think that's funny. But I really do. I really try to be that person. And a little while ago, someone came up to me at Element, and they said they weren't being fed enough. Uh, and, and so, like, my first thought, honestly, in the back of my head is, well, you should listen better. That's not funny. I thought it was funny, but that's, that's, how, that's how I feel. So we talked a little bit longer in this, and it ended up where they said, I don't feel like you challenge me enough. I want you to challenge me more. I'm like, I feel like I challenge you guys a lot. Like, I get in your face a lot. But challenge accepted. Okay, I'll do it. Um, You've got to understand that it is not the church's job to force-feed you anything. 
what we as a people need to start doing if we love Jesus, we start reading the scriptures, we start growing, and then we get involved in one another's lives, and we call these gospel communities, and you start discipling one another. It doesn't mean that you have all the answers to everything. We are here to help you and grow you in those things, but we disciple one another by being in one another's lives, by calling one another to live the gospel in our lives daily, day by day by day by day. It, being a disciple is not going to 20 Bible studies in a week. Being a disciple means you are involved in one another's lives, preaching and speaking the goodness of the gospel to each other. And if you have been a Christian for five or ten years and you've never done that, you are behind the curve. You need to get on the stick and start living as the gospel calls you to live. We are not your mommy. You've got to get out of your complacency. How's that? Was that good? All right. Also, though, when people say things like that to me, sometimes I get a little hurt, I get a little bit offended, and I want to find reasons to dismiss what they have actually said. And I can't do that, because for me to live in wisdom, I have to listen to what people say. I have to listen to correction. We all do. God loves a teachable spirit. So we must be people who not only ask for God's wisdom, but we also listen to truth and wisdom when people share it with us. No matter how smart you are, if you do not have a teachable spirit, you're going to be closed off to wisdom. Our first reaction when someone says something about us, the first thing is should be, is there any truth in this? That's what we should ask. Is there? So Element has two Yelp reviews, okay? Two. Both negative. Yeah! Come on, guys! Get on it. So we have a new one that just came in last week. And, and either I misspoke something or somebody misheard. It could be either one. But they said that I said that we do not need to trust in the name of Jesus. Or the name of Jesus doesn't have any power or something, something like that. And, and quite honestly, I, maybe I did say something wrong in this service. And, and if I ever do that and you leave confused about something, you have my permission to come and ask me about it and talk to me because I want to make sure I correct it. If it's in an earlier service, I want to correct it before I talk about it in the next service so we can figure it out. Please, please come talk to me. You can yelp about it too, but please come and talk to me. You know, we, we sent a nice reply, you know, hopefully trying to work this out and understanding that maybe I did say something wrong or maybe it was, I don't, I don't know, whatever it was though, we all need to be able to grow in this. And so our first reaction should be, is there truth in this? So how would you rate yourself on that? Honestly, one to 10, put it on there. If when you get correction, your first instinct is to resist, to throw it back at somebody, you're like a one or a two. Uh, if you're open to it when it comes, then maybe you're in the middle like five. If you love it and you're just like, oh, please, somebody get on my case. You're like an eight to a ten and you're a weirdo. And then after you write it in there, I want this week to either ask your family or your friends or your gospel community what they would rate you. Like, is this really true? Is this a... And then if they don't agree with you, don't throw it in their face. Because that would put you lower on the scale. Listen to what they say and then begin to grow in it. Second thing, wise initiative. Wise initiative. Proverbs 19, verse 24. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. This is a picture of someone who is so lazy, they put their hand over in the nacho dish. And then they're like, so lazy, like, oh, I don't have the effort to bring that back to my mouth. That's the... I love these poetic pictures in the book of Proverbs. The point is that nobody ever gets nurtured by laziness. That, that folly is so strong that it makes us think talking about something is the same thing as actually doing it. You all probably know somebody who's got plans and plans and plans. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I got all these plans for all these things. I'm going to do. And they just never get around to it. They never get around to it. Oh, you know, I'll, I'll get in shape. I'll eat better. I'll pray more the way God wants me to. I'm going to begin to be generous. I'll spend more time at home when things at work settle down. I'll figure it all out. See, people who do not follow the path of wisdom go to their grave in folly, not because they reject wisdom, 
They just never, ever got around to it. So rate yourself on it. Do you wrestle with procrastination or do you follow wisdom right when it calls? Like, boom, there it is. I'm going to do it. Do you initiate it? One to ten. Write it down. Number three, wise sexuality. Bam, you knew it was coming. Talking about sex, okay? Proverbs has a lot to say about the area of sex because human beings are stupid, okay? It's got a lot in there. Too many people think the main command in the Bible about sex is don't! That's not the command of the Bible. You know, Proverbs 5, verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. It doesn't say don't get divorced, stay married. I mean, that's, that's implicit in it, but it also has this idea of rejoice. You arrange your life in such a way that you are giving to the other person so they feel fulfilled. You live in such a way that you rejoice. So when you go home, that's a place you want to be, that they want you to come home, that you guys want to spend life together. Uh, Proverbs 5, verse 19, let her breasts fill you at all times with the light. Praise the Lord! It's in the Bible! Be intoxicated always in her love. You don't read that in a lot of churches, but it's right there! You should read that more. Whew! It's getting hot in here. The Bible's beautiful. Okay, now... Proverbs also has a lot to say about folly, about folly in regard to sex as well. It says, you know, don't base your romantic selection on superficial characteristics. Proverbs 11.22 says, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. That is a very poetic way of saying don't dress like a crack hoe. Yes, that's just that's what it means. There is more to think about in a relationship than looks. That's for guys and for Don't yelp that. Yeah, it's for guys and girls, Okay. See, wisdom would plead with you. If you're married, you guard your love. You value that relationship. You talk about it regularly. You evaluate it. You learn. How are we doing? Am I doing okay? Are you getting what you need from me? How can I change? What can I do to make you feel loved and worth it? And then you fight for it. You fight for it. In the middle of that, though, you learn how to do conflict well, because we all do it bad at the beginning, but we can learn and learn how to do conflict better. If you're married, whatever it takes, whatever help you need, you get it. You get it. And if you're not married, I would say choose wisely. And whatever you do, don't mess up your life by having sex with somebody you're not married to, because it doesn't make it better. It just makes it more complicated. In the scriptures, sex is talked about this thing that lays as a grace covering over your entire marriage. When you start getting involved with it before, it just gets shoved down and all the other crap you're dealing with. But God wants to be after you're married, so it lays over everything. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So rate yourself on this, 1 to 10. If you're addicted to porn, that's a 1. Just let you know. Number 4, wise speech. Wise speech. A lot of of wisdom literature centers around the words that we use. Proverbs 27, verse 15, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. You can tell a dude wrote that right there. Stop nagging me! I'm going to write a proverb forever, right? Goes for both genders, okay? You could also be a quarrelsome husband who is just annoying. Knock it off. Proverbs 10, verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. We, we have to ask, are the words that we are using with one another a fountain of life? Are we speaking words of hope and grace to one another, about each other, to each other? How are our words a fountain of life? That's a good proverb to memorize. If you're in a situation where you don't know what to say, there's a proverb for that as well. Proverbs 17, verse 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's as deemed intelligent. That is awesome. How to look smart when you're not. Shut up. There you go. Some people, I know, you know them, they 
talk and talk and talk. Just like, my goodness, how do you have that many words in your head? And they keep talking and talking. There are times when God is much more present in your silence than in your words. There are some times when you will speak volumes into somebody's life because you simply sit with them and you listen and you love them. Sometimes not posting or responding on Facebook is great wisdom. So rate it. Rate it. One to ten. Folly wisdom. Where are you at when it comes to speech? Number five, wise financial decisions. Proverbs 21, verse 20, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. The NIV translates it like this, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. This is an agricultural community, so it's put in terms of things that you have in your house that you can actually eat. What it talks about, though, is the importance of self-discipline and saving and delayed gratification when it comes to stuff. Now, if you've never been able to do this, a good place to start to try and get to is this 10-10-20 rule. You save 10, you give 10, you live, or 10-10-80. That's not bad at math. That's why my budget is horrible. 10-10-80. You save 10, you give 10, you live on 80. If you learn to do that when you're young and you start to grow older, you just kind of live in that, then one day you're not going to have to have the government take care of you when you're older. Not handling money rightly is going to kill your heart and your spirit. It's going to interfere with the generosity of your entire life. Wisdom says go down the right path when it comes to your finances. Uh, we, we have a, a course coming up called Financial Peace University. It's, on, it's going to start on September 12th. We have child care available for it if you need it. It will teach you how to budget and save. It is nine weeks. And if you've never learned how to do that, it would be a great thing to go to, to get your finances in order. Uh, Proverbs 19, verse 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Now, I often talk about the trip we did to Haiti a few years ago. And when I talk about the poverty in Haiti, almost nobody understands it. Because if you've been to Mexico, it's nothing like Mexico. I've been to Mexico and Guatemala and and poor regions in Egypt, and nothing, nothing is like Haiti. Do you know that they still do not know how many people died in the earthquake from a few years ago? You have all these people that live in these tent cities because no one's rebuilt homes, and they just decide, well, we'll just live in the tents forever. I mean, when it, when it rains here, when it rains here, we, we think things like, you know, it's a ha- we won't need the rain, but we're like, it's still a hassle. Imagine living in a tent during a hurricane. That is not a fun place to live. And, but no one tries to make it better. They all expect somebody else to come along and help take care of them. And don't think I'm callous to the plate, because I'm not. I do think we need to help. But I'm asking, how will we ever help them when we don't know how to take care of ourselves the way Jesus calls us to? See, one of the craziest moments when I was there is, uh, Gary's my friend, he's Haitian. So he's translating. There's this mom there, and the mom talks about her greatest wish for her kid is to be adopted by an American so she can move to another country and, and he can have some hope. Now think about it. If you're a parent, think that your greatest dream for your kid is that somebody could adopt them from another country so you would never see them again. That's sad. That's sad. But that's the plight of what is going on. This is why it's important for us as a country and individually to have a handle on our finances. Our government right now, $20 trillion in debt, or very close to it. $20 trillion in debt. That's that's so astronomical, we can't even think about it. And when politicians start saying, we're going to do this program or that program, you've got to ask, how are you going to do that? Because you know how it's going to happen? You. You, they're coming after, the government doesn't make money. Well, they print some right now, but they don't make money. They take your money. And so you have to hold people accountable for the things that they say. If you have to live on a budget, you live on a budget. So should they. We should all learn how to do this because the world's not going to be helped by every nation in the world going into debt. We have to learn how to steward our finances well. And whether you have a lot or a little, God can still use anything. You have to handle it well so the world can be fed and the gospel goes forward. God wants that. 
So how do you rate yourself on that, on your wisdom scale, on that? One to ten, okay? Number six, wise humility. Proverbs 27, verse 2, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Anybody think they do that well? Anybody want to raise their hand and say how humble they think they are? Nobody, got it, okay. There's a connection in the Bible between humility and wisdom. One of the most famous statements in the Bible, or in the book of Proverbs, is pride goes before the fall. Exactly, that's not how it's really written. It's written like this, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. There is something when we get caught up in our own self-sufficiency and our own selves that we set ourselves up for destruction. So how humble are you? How humble are you? One to ten on your scale. And number seven is wise commitment. Wise commitment. I think this is probably one of the most important ones because it's going to influence all the other ones that are there. Are you wise in your most important commitment? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That is your whole being, your whole will. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge, that is the word submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. What matters most in our lives is how we live wisdom around the central mission. How do we live the gospel? How do we live the understanding that God has first loved us? This becomes what gets reflected in the book of Acts with the church. Jesus rescues us. How do we live in that rescue? It is all meant to flow together because wisdom is wonderful. We understand that we are saved by grace and not our works, that God loves us and saves us even in our stupidity. But following Jesus means we also want to live in wisdom. Israel loved wisdom. They loved it like us, but they didn't always live in wisdom. So if Jesus is your ultimate commitment, how is that going? One to ten. Write that on there. There's your seven. I think wisdom does make for better friends, better character, better lives, better financial management, better workers, better communities, better citizens, better nations, better parents, better, 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 better. But I'll tell you, wise people still get cancer. And wise people still get betrayed, and wise people still sin, and wise people still die, and wise people still need Jesus more than anything else. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. The wisdom literature in the Bible recognizes the limits of human wisdom. This is why wisdom is said to be upon the highest place in the city. But what if you have made some horrible choices and decisions and you're like, I can never get to the highest place in the city. What am I supposed to do? How do I, how do I get there? The beauty of the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to the lowest place on earth to rescue and save us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that God made Christ to be wisdom itself. So when Paul writes in the book of Colossians, he uses all these images of wisdom from the Old Testament, and he applies them to Jesus. Colossians 1, uh, 1, 15 to 17. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's what was said about wisdom. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, if people had read the Old Testament, they'd realize these are things that were said about wisdom. And what Paul is saying is the culmination of everything is found in the person of Jesus. Colossians 2, verses 1 through 3. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have had for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, wisdom is not just seen as the ability to make good decisions. Wisdom is more than common sense and practical advice about how to navigate the rest of your life well. The writers in the New Testament realized all that they had loved, 
All that they had seen in the Old Testament they were supposed to love in this wisdom of Presbyterian Church is found actually in the person of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't condemn you when you are dumb. Jesus comes in and rescues you, lives the life that you should have lived. He died the death that you should have died. He restores your relationship to God because of what he has done. And Jesus is said to have a bride. You know what the bride's called? The church. The church. And so it's not so much of, oh, you love wisdom so much, why don't you marry it? It's that Jesus loved you so much, he called you his bride. And he married you and made us the church. And Acts is the story of how that bride grows and is to live in the wisdom that Christ brings. But that story doesn't stop in Acts. That story continues in us and moves into how we're supposed to live and how we live in that wisdom that he has imparted to us. We are told that we love because Christ first loved us. It's not we love because we're so smart and we got it all figured out. We love because we're dummies. And yet Jesus stepped into that and rescued, and redeemed, and saved us. And so now we get to begin to live in the wisdom of God that has been imparted to us in the person of Christ. We talk about communion every week. It's this idea where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me because we've made so many unwise decisions that had separated us in our relationship with God and relationship with one another that Jesus came to take away that in his death and resurrection. We remember that when we take communion, that this is the place where we surrender our lives and begin to live in the wisdom that God has bestowed upon us as a people. And so we invite you to take communion this morning and remember that, that God has called you to live in wisdom, understanding first that it is Jesus who has first saved us. The band's going to come up as they... There you are. Uh, I didn't see you sitting there. I was going to go long-winded until I saw you walk the back door. Because <laughs> that's wisdom. <laughs> Uh, if you need prayer, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. Uh, maybe you took on your paper and you, and you marked 10 on everything. I had someone sitting next to their mom. They're like, my mom was sitting there. I was like, why, is, why sexual decisions? 10, mom. 10, right? I thought it was funny. Maybe you don't. You are a tough service today, by the way, guys. I'm telling you. I'm like the best material out there. And you guys are like, well, that's going to. If you've got a 10 on everything, you need to pray with one of the deacons or elders in the back because you're not a 10 on everything. Like humility, yeah, that would have to just take a dive if you're a 10 on everything. You know, but if you feel like you're a 1 or a 2 on everything, pray with them. They'd love to talk to you about this. When, when we talk about coming and following and loving Jesus, it's not because he's going to smack you over the head with a baseball bat. It's because he's calling you into who he called you to be originally. He rescues, he redeems, he restores, he calls us home. He is good, he is full of grace, and he gives wisdom to his people to live in. Because our God is good. He is good. Uh, There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. We do not pass the plates. response to what he's done. So you've got to actually have to get up and do it if you're going to do it. Uh, but we also believe that generosity and giving is a way to live in wisdom. There's food in the back. Grab something to eat. Meet some other people. Maybe you can take some of the questions in there. If, you, if you're not in a gospel community, then maybe talk to your family. Or if you're too awkward about that, talk to a friend that you trust. And go through you know, wisdom things in there where you are and ask how, where they see you. And do not, do not ask your friend. The, whoever, if you post some stupid thing on Facebook and they like thumbs up everything you do, don't ask that person. Okay? You want the guy that's going to be like, why did you post that? You're a dummy. You know, that's the person you want to ask because they're going to be honest. And then you can be honest with them too. It's like it drives me nuts. People make the stupidest comments on Facebook and everybody's like, yeah, you go. Way to go. I'm like, what is wrong with people? Let's start just replying with Proverbs. But then sometimes wisdom is found when I just keep my mouth shut. Political discussions on Facebook, just keep your mouth shut. They don't work. Thus says Aaron. 
Anyway, so uh, meet some other people and, and can maybe talk through some of those things in there. And begin how to learn how to live and walk. See, Jesus saves us individually, but he places us in community with one another so we can walk through these things with one another, so we can talk about these things practically. You know, what, so, so we would all be able to begin and walk in the wisdom that God calls us to by stepping alongside each other because our God is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to live and walk in wisdom, to honor you by the decisions we make in our lives. And where we have made poor decisions, I ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see how to begin to make better ones. I ask that we'd be able to look around us and begin to see the world the way that you do. So as we begin to make decisions, we would see it in light of how you love us and those around us. That we don't just make it personal. We make it into something that understands that you have called us to be your witness to the entire world. That the wisdom we live is going to be reflective of the God that we serve. So teach us to live wise lives. That honor you in all things. Father, today. We ask that you would have groundbreaking, be awesome and amazing, and it would be another step in the wisdom that you are leading us into. That you would use us as an entire church body to bless the city that we are in. That we would begin to bless the nation that we are in by how we interact and reflect the city that we live in. That you would use us as a people to honor you by all that we do. And by doing that, you would be raised up with great glory. And as we always say, you are so gracious to give your people great joy. So teach us to live and walk in your goodness and your wisdom. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.